As cities around the world adapt to rapid urbanization, attention to the health of urban populations is critical. ISUH Conversations is the only podcast focusing exclusively on the broad factors of urban health. We understand that the health challenges and opportunities in urban environments are complex. Our guests are urban health influencers who come from many sectors. If you are a researcher, educator, policymaker, practitioner, community leader, or urban health advocate, these conversations will resonate with you. In this podcast, Dr. Yannette Thomas, the Executive Director of ISUH, and I talk to these urban health influencers to capture their ideas and continue to advance the knowledge of urban health. I'm Mark Sylvester, your host. Let's meet our guest. I'd like you to meet Dr. Billy Giles Corti. She is the Distinguished Professor at NHMRC and a Senior Principal Research Fellow. She's a director at RMIT's Urban Futures Enabling Capability Platform, the director of the Healthy Livable Cities Group at the Center for Urban Research at RMIT University. How about that? Welcome to the show, Billy. I feel tired just listening to it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Billy, we're happy to have you um, as one of our podcast or inaugural podcast guests, and I'm looking forward to this conversation with you. Thank you, Jeanette. I'm looking forward to it too. So, Billy, tell me about your work as an urban health influencer, and when I ask you that question, what's that make you think of? Yeah, I'm a public health academic and I've been working in the built environment and health space for about 20 years. Mm. Um, And I guess where I influence, most of my work is outside the health sector. So I'm a public health impact, um, public health researcher, but most of my research is with sectors outside of health. So I work a lot with planners, urban designers, transportation planners, um, landscape architects. So more and more, uh, over the years, I've become less engaged with the health sector and much more engaged with the uh, sectors outside of health. And I'm really pleased to see now that the health sector is getting onto the whole built environment and health area. They've sort of been almost like a late starter. Um, and so it's really quite exciting for me. But my, where my work has been really is outside of the health sector, trying to get the create evidence that for people outside of health, they can use to influence policy and practice. Um, and it's been a very interesting journey because over the years, they've really come to love, you know, the good guys really come to love the evidence because they've never really had a strong quantitative evidence base. And mm-hmm. that's what my team's been focused on. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, um, it's interesting that you say that the health uh, coming to the built environment perspective um, later on. As a social epidemiologist, I, I think that we've always been doing that. Um, and it's interesting, but we never connect, you know, we never connect the dots. But here it is, we have the International Society for Urban Health that hopefully will play that connector role. Um, as you well know, or you may or may not know, ISUH's claim to fame, its value proposition, is that it's the only Um, global organization focused on urban health. And I want to, in that context, given what you just said about built environment and health and working with the other sectors, how do you view 
ISUH's role in the context of your work? Yeah, um, let me just come back before I answer that question about this notion about the health sector. Mm -hmm. When I'm talking about the health sector, you know, the really mainly the health sector in our country at least, 99% mm -hmm. of the budget is spent on the health care system, the illness that's system. Right. Yes. And I think that's where they've been late, late to be a late starter because their focus has been less on health promotion. Or, you know, we do a little bit of health promotion, but it's really been a focus on patching people up when they're sick. Yes, yes. Um, and it's just unfortunate that's where the resources have gone. And I really feel there's a really important role and that's where I think they are coming on board now. Even though I've had funding from, you know, the health research agencies, I really do feel that the health sector's role in asking the other sectors to do their jobs better, to create the conditions for good health has been late coming. That's right. And I, I think partly that's because we haven't had the quantitative evidence base. You know how, at least in Australia, I see it in Britain as well, every evidence base, they want to know the evidence. So they're not going to act until they've got the evidence. And it's taken a long time to get that evidence. The, the so glorious think, random control trials, RCTs, uh, you know, those are the standard. Without that, nothing happens, right? That's right. But I think, like, I think there's been a lot of sophisticated conversations going on over the last decade and recognition that when we're talking about changing cities, which is what urban health is about, is that we can't just use the randomized control trial. What we need to use is natural experiments of policy interventions and different, more creative ways, because you can't randomize people to go and live in one house and not another right. or randomly allocate a, you know, a, a, you know, a built environment intervention. It has to be uh, a natural experiment. And mm -hmm. that is starting, thankfully, to become valued. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really, you know, it's heartwarming for me because I've been banging on the drum for a long time. <laughs> and now I see people coming on board. And, you know, to be honest, I think it is because we are, we, get, we, we do have an evidence base. You know, some researchers who focus on chronic disease, you know, the hard health outcomes mm -hmm. are starting to get on board and they're finding associations with the built environment as well. So I think we're creating this wonderful multidisciplinary Data, database of interventions and, and associations, which it's really irrefutable now. I think it's going back to, you know, where public health started in the first place, you know, thinking about the role of cities in infectious disease. I think of people course. are starting to come on board now and seeing that there's, there's chronic disease issues related to the way we build cities as well. And I think the evidence base is mounting. I mean, the World Health Organization has been talking about this for decades, but <laughs> it still has taken a long time to get traction. And I think the evidence base, creating an evidence base, which is such a role for, you, for the society, is so critical. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Definitely creating an evidence-based, and it makes me think of you and I um, in in Kuala Lumpur talking about an urban health scorecard. It was a kernel idea. It still continues to be a kernel idea, and I and I keep um, thinking of how do we flesh that out? What does that mean? We we don't want to get another measurement tool, but think building that out more broadly. And I've actually yeah. raised that with a number of our interviewees and people have given some very good ideas and, and, and other views. Um, so that's still on the table, Billy. That's something that we, we, we will, will be working on. It's still there, but it's kind of building the force toward it. 
that said, um, you know, I see you as one of those people, um, given the work you've done with the city of Melbourne and the, the inter engaging the, the, the other sectors, you know, built environment, transportation, all the other pieces, um, at the cutting edge of global health innovation, I, um, you know, Mark, uh, Billy has done phenomenal work in the city of Melbourne. And perhaps for our listener, you can tell a, a little bit, spend, a, you know, two minutes telling in a, what that work has been and the innovative nature of that work. And then I want to talk to you about how we can, we can work with you on that. Yeah, I think it's, um, I think, you know, ISUH can have play a really major role here in getting researchers to think differently about the way we do research. Because I think if you want to create change cities, you really need to understand the policy environment in which you're working. You need to understand. So it's a local, you know, it's got global implications, um, but it actually you need to think about the local urban environment and the local policies that shape that urban environment. And for the last, uh, well, really for most of my career, um, I focused on this, but have done so very much since uh, working in Melbourne. So what I've established is a, uh, an NHMRC, so the National Health and Medical Research Council, to its credit, because this is a bit out there, but <laughs> they have, it's a really conservative funding organisation, but they did fund me to do this, to establish a Centre for Research Excellence in Healthy Livable Communities. Mm-hmm. And what we created was three nodes across Australia, one in Perth, in Western Australia, one in Melbourne and mm-hmm. one in Brisbane. And each of them were to have a sector advisory group. So um, made up of all the policymakers that can influence the way we build cities. So um, very bravely in, in Melbourne, because I was relatively new to Melbourne, I invited the chair of the, um, to be, first of all, the, 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 the Victorian office, um, uh, the, the government architect, um, Jeffrey London. Uh, I asked him if he would chair it, and then he went. He moved, so he we invited the CEO of the Victorian Planning Authority, mm-hmm. quite a conservative organisation, but responsible for rolling out all the new suburbs and doing all the retrofitting of brownfield sites as well, but all the new ground, greenfield sites. So I invited him to be the chair. He's quite a cynical person about research. <laughs> So, you know, quite the challenge. And, but around the table, we had, um, the health department was on board. We had, um, we had uh, the government architect, the new government architect. We had um, urban designers. So the private sector from urban designers. Uh, we had the Planning Institute of Australia. So they're just like an advocacy group around mm-hmm. planning. Mm-hmm. We had the Heart Foundation of Australia also has a big mm-hmm. focus on the built environment and health and cardiovascular disease, but a major advocate. Um, we had Vic Roads, which builds all the major roads, which is quite remarkable, the CEO of Vic Roads. <laughs> so we had this remarkable group of people who I have to say what I love about them is that they stuck with it. Like we've been working together now for four or five years mm-hmm. and they are still turning up to meetings. And the way I've constructed it is that for every research that we did, we got their input. We asked for their advice about what mm-hmm. we were doing and helped to shape it. We gave them... we all my, my team um, have presented what we've done and then we've sought their advice about the recommendations that we'll be putting in our papers. There's been no surprises. So we haven't sort of bagged what they're doing. We have told them first and got their input um, and they love it. <laughs> I really think they love it. They come to the meetings and I, I, they always look forward, they always leave 
feeling a little bit cleverer because they, you know, I really try and get my team because they're not researchers. Mm -hmm. So I get my team to talk to them as very sophisticated policymakers um, who've got such a lot to offer. And we present the research findings and ask for their advice about what we think it means and how we can translate it. Mm -hmm. And there was a terms of reference. So they came on board. So the last year, which is the last year now, um, our focus has been on research translation. Now, along the way, um, we started to create indicators, which is what you have become interested in. I think it's a great yes. opportunity to go global with this. Yes. But what we did was we created indicators of policies. Well, first of all, two types of indicators. One, some were indicators that we found the built environment was associated with health. Mm -hmm. So, for example, we found that people who live within 400 metres of a bus stop or, or public transport stop um, and a service every 30 minutes were more likely to walk. So we we mapped that across Australia, actually, um, mm -hmm. of all the sort of, we got GIS data, we mapped that across and we could see in cities where was that being delivered? So where was that policy? Where was that potential for a policy being delivered? So mainly we found it was only in the inner cities that we were getting that sort of level of service. But we also, what we did was done, we've done policy analysis and said, well, what were the policymakers trying to achieve to create better cities? And what we found when we looked at that was they don't really have the policy frameworks. They talk about it a lot, high level. We want to create livable cities, more sustainable cities, but they actually do not have the policy, the measurable policy environment to be able to create those cities. Uh -huh. So we were able to show that with our policy analysis. Where they did have policies, we were able to map those policies and to show them where were the policies being delivered. Uh -huh. um, and it's really been, oh, it's created a lot of discussion yeah it's really been great and what as far as you know like i'm so dorky i get excited <laughs> about really things. but what really excited me was i went to a meeting where the minister for planning who you might think would be quite defensive about these things he was had a he had a he was opening a, a conference with all the developers and he said to them, there's been this amazing report that's come out of RMIT. It shows that how badly we're doing in Melbourne. We have got to do better. These, we are creating suburbs where people are socially deprived because they don't have amenity. We've got to do better. And this report quantifies it and shows it. Now, to that's me... That's impact. Well, when you have a minister for planning saying that to the development industry, it you know, makes my heart sing. That doesn't mean I'm so dorky. That really makes me <laughs> exciting. Uh, and then... This, that's just two weeks ago, we have an election coming up. I got contacted by the Australian Institute for Landscape Architects, who are doing a partnership with the Institute for Architects and the Planning Institute of Australia. They said, we want to use your report. There's an election coming up. We're creating a platform. We want to advocate to the government what they should be doing. Can we use the data from your report? Again, I Oh, that's amazing impact. Like that. <laughs> yes, yes. That yeah. stuff lights my fire because yes. I just think, you know, I've been working really hard to change cities and trying to make the, the evidence as relevant to them as possible so they can act on it. And when I hear that, that makes me think that what we're doing is something right. Yeah. I wonder, Billy, how can we replicate that or some version thereof in the context of ISUH working with secondary cities? You know, the SDG goals, one thing of the UN is leave no one behind. And I've recently been talking about a, with a colleague about this notion of inclusive cities. Everybody's talking about cities, da, da, da. but how do we maybe within the context of 
urban health and ISUH. We talk about inclusive cities focusing on secondary cities and looking for ways in which we engage the architects and the and the the, the local planners and the local policymakers in some sort of a, um, a a large task force that becomes cells of activity. And earlier today, I heard about um, weaving networks you know, to create some sort of a broad-based global action-oriented focus using what you've done as not all of it, but as a kernel of guidance and, um, and direction. Um, you know, play with me a little bit around that yeah. thought and uh, for our listeners to see how, um, what, what do you think of that thinking? I think it's, it's exactly the sort of thinking that we should be thinking about. I'm, I wonder whether, um, you know, with the society conferences, how much do we invite people from outside the health sector to the conference to be, to really challenge us and work with us? And so what, we had a conference here, which was hugely successful. People absolutely loved it. And I was really mm -hmm. surprised. It attracted more policymakers and practitioners than it did researchers, actually. But what we did was we presented our research, but we did it in a way that took out, you know, the statistical significance of the findings and all the methodological <laughs> things we actually made people present their work um what did i find how did i do it but in a very high level you know what were the major findings and we did it we, we had it i could send you what we did because if, if you wanted to do something like this at a future yes. conference but it was designed and what i it was designed to engage policymakers and practitioners so for every um session the researchers presented their research and then they sought feedback from, we had a panel made up of all the policymakers and they provided feedback about what, you know, what was good, what was, what was bad, about what was presented, what their thoughts were, and then we engaged in a conversation. So, but the researchers had to present, had a formula for presenting, which was not describing as we often do at yes. academic researchers, because we're trying to engage those who can actually do something with the findings and honestly it just generated such fabulous it was such a buzz of a conference everyone really loved it and wanted to know when we're doing the next one we were so dead after this one we were never <laughs> going to do a conference again if i mentioned it to my team they were going to get really upset anyway but i think i wonder with the um isuh that that could be a focus you know when you go to these cities you could actually ask the local organizing committee and then you could sort of role model how this is done to people mm -hmm. and suggest to people that they do that in their own cities as a way mm -hmm. of engaging people. But mm -hmm. the key thing I think what one, one has to do, and I think through the society, I think we could be talking a lot more about this, is how do you do policy relevant research? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How do you engage and do co-design and but do stuff that really resonates with the people that you're going to, you're trying to influence? And people think, oh, that's going to be really boring research. It's not actually. It's a really exciting research. To me, I guess that that's the thing that lights my fire because what I've sort of talked about is you can make that a very exciting scientific program of work, but it's got, it's applied, but it doesn't mean that you have to leave your science behind. It's a little mm -hmm. bit more behind the scenes. But, mm -hmm. you know, for us, what we wanted to do was, well, how do we, do we build the built, built environment? I had students doing things on how do we do better measurement and what innovative techniques could we use? So it's not like you don't use innovation, but you just apply it in a way mm -hmm. that, um, that is to a problem that someone in a city is trying to solve. Mm 
Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and you make sure that they're involved in it, so that you don't don't go off on a tangent and do it in a in a way that they don't find useful. Yeah. So, for example, one of the things that we did a really big study in Perth, Western Australia, where we evaluated the state government's um, subdivision design codes to create more walkable neighbourhoods. It's actually under their sustainability strategy, mm-hmm. and we had this longitudinal design which we loved, you know, and we we. Because we, we needed more money, we I had you know lots of different projects. And I had a dog walking study, and I had a safety study, and a transport study. And they're all PhD students that yes. were working on it. But you know, at, towards the end of it, um, I said to one of the policymakers, you know, what did you think? And they said, well, you went up a bit of a tangent. You know, the dog study couldn't see the relevance of that really to what we were interested in, and you didn't really benchmark and monitor and tell us what was going well with the policy so -hmm. what we did i got another student to do a project i actually had planned to do it along the way but you know you 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 forget and you i came back to the idea of benchmarking and monitoring the policy that has had so much impact yeah they love it they are excited the way they described that study to me was no other planning department in the world would have a study like this that tells us which parts of the policy were actually working and and how much of the policy was implemented now to me when you you know again you know i know it's dorky but it's so it makes my heart sing when i hear a policy maker in planning say that to me yeah and they also argue that our research had say saved the policy our research um you know, when the policy was under review because we had all this research. And I don't think that they realised that when we started that that would be so useful. But it becomes a defensive strategy for the good guys to protect a good policy. So, you know, I think to me that's where we could be using the society to talk about, well, how do we do this? How do we, how do we maintain our intellectual integrity and our scientific interests, but mm-hmm. at the same time doing things that actually make a difference and influence policymakers? So I think. That, and I think we can do that on a global sense. I think the society can play a role in training people, in yes. ex- getting people excited about the possibility and teaching them how they can work. And then in each city that you go to, you know, engaging policymakers to come and share and to critique what we're doing. That should be open yes. to being critiqued. Yes. Absolutely. You know, I, I, I now you have me excited. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna sleep tonight because I want to come back to you. Uh, or an earlier interview <laughs> we had um, today, um, there was a discussion about um, engaging early career students and early career urban health thinkers, and um, this whole notion of benchmarking and monitoring policy. Um, at their local at their local level and creating then bringing them in back to a dialogue at a collaboratory in our collaboratorium that is ISUH connect talking about that and and maybe starting there and then taking that information and then linking it into some of the work that you've done at these cell level of of municipalities whether it's in Bogota Colombia or or in 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 Kampala Uganda or or in or in Kenya um, you know these these cells can then become linked back into networks of thinkers who are using looking at policy related to urban health and then building from there, working with policymakers, architects, et cetera, to think, so how do we make the community inclusive, an inclusive city and livable and um, valuable in, in an urban health context? Yeah, I, I really, I mean, obviously the you know early careers of the future, they're the gorgeous young yes. ones who get yes. excited about all of this stuff and you want them to 
really taken on because you know it's not easy you know you don't start when you realize just doing this work you know if you really knew how hard it was going to be you probably wouldn't start but yes. you know yes. but you yes. know you just yes. have to go in with eyes wide open and get excited and yes. just take it on you know and that's really unfortunately i still do that which is really bad because i'm not young anymore no <laughs> so but that's 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 pay. important that's what keeps the energy and the thinking alive and young early career folks having leaders like yourself who continue to think creatively and youthfully um, is very important. So before we, um, in the little bit of time we have, I have an ask of you. And I know um, we started talking in KL and a little before, but I want wonder if you are willing to engage with us in this thinking, you know, brainstorm, we we're pull, pull a small group together. Um, we can probably have a Bellagio meeting where we, we, we do this, something like that. Um, spend some time really figuring out how to engage early career folks at, from, from a benchmark and policy level and, and blossoming into uh, more um, dynamically in the urban health sphere. So the, the thing that makes me exciting is that I have this notion of this arc, you know, what we do and how we engage people before a conference. And then the conference becomes the platform for discussion and dissemination of the ideas. And then post-conference, the creation of these activity cells that either create papers or documents that then circle back around to, um, you know, activities activities on the ground and then get spoken again at the next conference because we have an annual conference. So um, I think we're on to something. And um, I yeah. think that's why I've been following you around, Billy, because <laughs> I think you are so valuable to the ISCH community. Thank you. That's really kind of you. I think that is very exciting to me as well because, you know, the other thing you could be having as a result of your conference, perhaps you already do it, but, you know, the idea of the the journal having special issues of you know yes. key papers that come out of the conference which is around this topic so after the conference you can have a special issue on on these you know people yes. who are doing policy relevant work and yes. it becomes a vehicle you become known for it and yes. it's it's fantastic academic research high impact research but the way i describe it is scientific and policy impact um, you need to have both and also training people about so what we've been doing with our you know we did our big livability study in Australia but now what we're doing is creating scorecards for all the cities yeah so we've done one for Perth we're doing one for Melbourne and we're tying it to the elections and so we could be talking about you know how you add value and how you keep it going you know so that yes. you actually generate media and interest yes. and controversy in some ways yes. but yeah I'm, I'm very careful the way I write things because I try not, and I, in my team, I try to engender the idea not to be a smarty pants because actually this is very difficult to change mm -hmm. cities. It is. And, and, and even though we can critique and say people aren't getting it right, getting it right is actually really hard. And I don't think we know and I don't think they know either. I think what we have to do is work in partnership with so that we learn together how we can create this virtuous cycle of, you know, trying things out and fixing them because it's just so complex and political. Mm -hmm. uh, we need the political scientists on board. So I think, you know, creating a, you know, a community of practice, if you like, of people who are trying to do this as difficult as it is, but you know, with good heart, good intention, great partnerships, ties to the sustainable development goal, goal of 17. Yes, of but us as academics having partnerships, but really training ourselves how to do that. Yes, um, yes. The other thing, just to let you know, which um, you'll get excited when I tell you this, I know, but um, 
you know, we did a Lancet series, uh, you know, in 2016 on urban design, transport and health. And one of the things we proposed was a set of indicators for cities. Mm-hmm. And so what we're trying to do now, we're doing it, we're trying to get uh, researchers who we know have got the right data mm-hmm. to come on board with us to replicate in a way what we've done for the Lancet, for our livability report. Mm-hmm. They're doing some policy analysis in their cities to find out which um, which are the poli- are the policy policy in place to build better cities, mm-hmm. and then we're using the, we've got GIS data. We're going to do it centrally with because all this open source data to create a subset of indicators, not as comprehensive. Oh, as fantastic! So I know you'll get excited about yes, this. So fantastic. this is this is work in progress. We're I, just about to send out the letter yes. of invitation. There's a group yes. of people. It's called the International Physical environment network um mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which uh has been led out of by jim salas out of san diego mm-hmm. and so he's got a group of researchers about 20 cities and we're going to use that as a pilot as a proof of concept mm-hmm. to be able to you know create these indicators and 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 then we're hoping we're creating an urban observatory and you know i guess if we're going to pull the data together and we you know we'll have a place where a repository where that data can sit well i'm hoping that somehow and um, if we could be an observer, ISUH be part of that, um, I'd love to talk with you about how we can um, be part of that activity. Yeah, yeah. I think that, that would be wonderful and um, very happy to share that with yes. you. And, yes. and actually, because what, what you really need, and I think in all of this, is it's not about working in isolation. It's about how do we amplify what we do? Of course. And, you know, it's the amplification. And that's why in my team, what we work, we work with is policymakers and practitioners, but also advocates because, you know, the Hart Foundation, the Planning Institute of Australia, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because we can do the research, we can try and tie it to policy and we're trying to influence the policymakers. But in addition to that, we need someone who can amplify, who can do a lot of the advocacy. You can't do everything yourself. Exactly. So so, on that note... I think that um, that's a perfect place to stop because I know that there's more to come and I will be in touch with you after to follow up on these, these things. Thank you so much, Billy. This has been a remarkable interview. I know our, 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 our membership will, this will resonate very well. And um, this is just part one. Thank you. <laughs> it's been great to talk to you. Thanks very yes. much. Billy, thanks, thanks so much. And uh, congratulations <laughs> on the, the reception that your research has gotten. Uh, one of my key takeaways there was um, figuring out the language uh, and how you get, uh, you're teaching these young people to talk to policymakers and to make the research relevant to them uh, and important. And that I think that's a skill we all can do better at. Uh, having conversational literacy and understanding mm-hmm. who we're talking to and make a, make a difference. Yannette, thank you so much. I look forward to another one of these amazing conference conversations and uh, with people like uh, Dr. Billy, thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank bye. you, Mark. Thank pleasure. You. Thanks so much, Mark. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. You can find more ISUH conversations on our website at isuh.org or subscribe on iTunes so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. Our website also features upcoming events and a members area where you can meet and collaborate with your peers.